I remember when I when I joined the finance function, I asked this question: When can we have an update or upgrade on the accounting rules? And someone told me that it only happens every one year, where we get a release of the change. Then I thought this is boring that this is the only change or the creativity in the changing the rules. But later on in my career, I discovered that how the basic foundation can be uh, fit differently in different industry by different entities in a different region. So how to be used. So giving that context, I'm really excited to have you, Amir, in that discussion, because today we're going to discover how the finance can vary from one industry to other industry, giving you expertise. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. And very excited to have you and to, to join you for the podcast. Okay. So we start our podcast today by introducing the guest through his or her purpose in life. So let me ask you, what is your purpose in life? That's a, that's a tough question. Um, so I would say pretty basic for me. Um, for me, just to make the life of the people around me better, easier. So it comes to my husband, close family, uh, friends and the people I work with. Uh, that's pretty simple and pretty basic, but really try to get their life better. Um, and if I have to think about something a bit broader, um, so I'm Algerian, born and raised. Um, I grew up in Algeria and I studied and I worked a bit and then I went abroad and I traveled in different uh, part of the world and I worked in different places. And after a while, I felt the need to be back to the region, to be back home and to try at least to bring what I've learned and even a tiny impact if I can have in the region, I think that that will be like great success for me okay there there is a say that the purpose is coming from the struggle uh, and everyone crafts his or her own purpose based on the foundation that they went through a challenging journey Mm -hmm. that's why they create their own purpose does this mean that you went through as normal yeah a struggle um, people helping you that's why you decided that you're gonna step up and craft your purpose based on that way yes definitely i think it's a good reading um i grew up again as i told you in algeria um i think it was again just getting to a higher school high education i was really pushed by my parents really hard because uh, they wanted like just for me to achieve and to study as much as i can as long as i can and and then i got opportunities I really moved um, outside of the country and I moved to multiple parts of the world. So I worked in Europe. Um, I worked as well, like covering different regions. I lived in London, lived in Paris. And I was only able to do that because I had a lot of people that I met across uh, along the, the line who helped me, who believed in me. Um, I remember when I, when I moved to the first international role, uh, my English was very basic, extremely basic. Uh, and I worked so hard for the interview just to make sure that I get the job. And um, and I think my first manager realized that, again, my level was not so great. And he was amazing. Um, he was really helping me, even crafting email, making it basic to really help me to to progress. And, and I cannot be thankful, uh, more thankful than that, because you have like, it's really the people that you met across the across the your journey um, that really helped me to get what I am and believed in me and pushed me. Um, and that's why I think for me to be back in the region, I think there is the the growth or even the future is really in this region. Uh, when I talk about the region, I mean the Middle East and Africa at large. Um, I think the growth is coming from here, massive population of young generation. They're getting smarter and smarter. They're very talented a lot of ambition, um, and there's resources as well. So I really believe that this region has so much to give. Uh, and it's our duty, again, the people from this region to come back and really try at least to bring back a bit the knowledge that we gathered uh, across the globe. So uh, yeah, it, it's really the reflection of probably my personal journey. Okay. Yeah. I don't want to leave this stage. If I go back again to the foundation, yeah. uh, how did you how did you end up with, uh, in you, with your career in finance? How did you pick up finance? Uh, it I would say more like finance picked me. 
<laughs> I was very entrepreneurial uh, when I was studying. I I designed, I created two kind of companies with one of my friends, and we were dreaming of having our own company. I think the first one was like something that doesn't exist anymore. It was advert game, which basically you create games and you add like you fund it through advertisement in the game. Mm. Uh, and then you and then you you manage to like some simple games that you can use on the phones, um, and we failed uh, miserably. <laughs> 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 then we were um, and then we were thinking, okay, um, a magazine, a free magazine, like free access to information, funded through uh, through advertisement, and our target was student who didn't have enough means and money but needed to get access to qualitative information and we said okay we're going to give it to them for free but obviously we'll have to make it work so we can fund it through um through advertisement so i tried i really tried those two uh two ventures and at the same time i was studying as well um and then when you get to your master degree and you finish your mba you're like okay now i maybe need to validate that with an experience so you get the first job um, and then I got a company who approached me um, and they had graduate program, internal graduate program in finance. Mm. And it was a two year span uh, where you just travel the world and you work in different function, businesses, countries, and you get to learn the finance um, in different functions. Um, so I had within two years, I've experienced a large at scale, like uh, the spectrum of finance, what we can look like from operations to compliance, to commercial finance, to risk. And and I kind of fell in love with that. Because again, you have that picture and that image of finances, backend office, a bit like hidden somewhere in the basement. <laughs> exactly, that, that's exactly my question. How did you fall in love with finance? And because I found, I, I was in a company was very industrial, and where again, and, and when you think about it, it's like it was motors and turbine and big factories, mm. um, and you would think it's probably boring and annoying. Uh, and then when you start understanding, okay, your engine, what can create actually generate electricity for the whole city or the whole town of people who never have access to electricity, um, and you're working on project like that, and you try to craft it, it's over twenty five years terms that you need to go to and you need to make sure that your contract is safe and it's secure um, and then you're committing for 25 years but it's a healthy business that you're engaging to but at the same time you're creating such a big impact on people's lives and this is where I think I really realized that finance can play such a important role in um, making the right decision and protecting the company on the long term, at the same time doing the right thing and really creating impact on on people's life, like getting as well with the right pricing, um, with um, with solutions as well, creative solutions. So I was working on a solar plan in Egypt, uh, where no company was able to fund and give because back then, and I think the com the country as well going through similar issues is that the country was very hard to get foreign uh, currencies yes. into the country. Mm. But the plant, you needed sort of pattern coming from China and you needed EPC, like all the work that needs to come engineering coming from abroad. And uh, the local company who wanted to build that couldn't find funding to do that. And so I was working on the project and we were selling just a part, just a portion of, 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 the, of the plant. And it was a dead end. We tried with all the different banks to see who can help and who can fund for this project. Okay. Um, we even went to World Bank to get guarantees for the country because it was backed by the ministry. And we really tried everything possible to help that local provider to make the, the, the project work. Mm. It just didn't work out. And, and after a few months, uh, I was on a very random training on factoring. And one guy in the company was explaining what they were doing, what are the offerings we have internally, uh, buying, so factoring, like buying invoices on your behalf, they give you cash at discount prices. And it just kind of, like light bulb just came out. Mm. And I was like, oh, maybe something that we can do. So maybe it's something that we can fund internally, agree to customer to pay for that discount 
and then we get the cash because internally we have a structure that allows us to do it, but never, no one have ever done it before. Mm. It was something super creative of the like of the track, like no one did it before. Um, so we went back uh, around the table negotiating and we got different teams to start brainstorming and think what we can do. And ultimately, long story short, but six months later, we were able to secure the deal with internal financing. And now the plant is up and running. Uh, so that's what I love about finance. Sometimes you end up in places where you can, because you're the only person as well who has that angle um, and that view where the business are operations or marketing or sales, um, where finance, you're really at the backbone and you see everything, like everything that's happening has an impact on finance and the company, anything. Okay. So you would see it like you have that 360 view and you're able to kind of sometimes come with creative solutions. So that's kind of how I, I found a bit of passion in, in finance. And I've been seeing that again from, from there, that's how kind of my, what uh, motivate me and push me uh, to try to find similar things in everything I do. I think that's, that's a, 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 a relevant point when it comes to finance and how you leave an impact. I'm sure whenever you visit Egypt, you will be curious enough to go and just pass by this project and yeah. see up and running as we speak now. And you see yeah. it was uh, purely your idea or finance idea. Yeah. Uh, one of my guests in one of the episodes said that uh, project finance or finance and function, they can put any idea uh, alive or they send it to death uh, in a way or another. So how we come creative with a compliance to support the business uh, in, a, in a nutshell. And that's the beauty of finance yeah. that really be the backbone of the business. So speak about this uh, project uh, and based on your experience, Amal, in that you have across the board experience for different industry, which is something unique. Uh, unique when it comes to the finance that you have all of this experience from non-tech tech companies. Unique when it comes to the female CFO as well uh, for so many years, uh, mashallah, very good job in that. And at the same time, as you said, different geography, not only in one country or two countries, you're across all the board, across all the region. So in that sense, back to our subject, which is finance in the tech industry, before we jump into the details of that, giving your experience, what did you observe in the finance function difference between uh, electric companies or non-tech and tech companies, if mm. I may say? Yeah. So I think I remember there's a quote that one of my teachers when I was in program uh, told me. Uh, he said, finance is the language of business. So there's so many languages that you can speak, but it's just the language that allows you to understand the business. So for me, there's as many finance as there's business out there, business model. Mm. Um, they, there is a basic foundation that you were referring to earlier around accounting and compliance and risk that we need stability. Otherwise we will end up in financial crisis and crash mm. so you need that stability and you need to always revise it regularly with how the world is changing now we're talking about data we talk about esg with sustainability uh, and so on so you'll have to revisit those foundation regularly to make sure that you're up to date with the market but then when it comes to business finance needs to adapt to the business not the other way around so for me um and, and even like the way I approach any new role that I take or any new company that I join is first understand what the business needs. So usually my face, it's, it sounds quite basic, but the, usually the first question I ask my business partner is how can I help? How finance can help? Hmm. And I really start from there to understand the business model, to understand what do we want to achieve? Because you have companies who are uh, driven by growth and some are driven by profitability. Some are driven by cash generation. Um, some are driven by usage, numbers of increase. So each company has a different need and they have as well different level of maturity. So you have a startup who will not have the same need as a mature company. You will not have uh, the same need in a company that is highly regulated like uh, health mm. or uh, health then versus you know retail so you have different regulations so your needs are very different competition competitive intensity as well play a role so 
As long as you understand your business, then your finance needs to adapt to it. And finance, its role, primary role, is to make sure that you're achieving your target, you're on track, you're making sure that you're giving your investors the return that they're expecting. Mm. So uh, an investor, sometimes they're not looking for a direct return right away. They're not looking for dividend, but they want you to take over some market share or grow in a specific market or launch a new country. So the finance needs to make sure that you adapt to make sure that you're um, tracking your performance to the goal that you set to achieve. Okay. So that's why for me, like again, finance can be very different from even within tech companies, you'll have very different type of finance uh, for every type of industry. Usually like they're very similar when you're in the same industry, you kind of get the same model. Uh, but yeah, in, in many companies, it's very different. Okay. So I have a question here. Uh, when I read that the finance need to adapt to the business and the business can vary between an objective of gross cash or revenue, for example. Mm. There is a say that within the same company, company producing, for example, cooking oil, for example, just for example, mm. in the cooking oil, you have one product that objective of that product is to grow mm -hmm. and another product in the same company, which is just to generate cash. And then there is another product that is only purpose, very premium niche to only target revenue. Mm. So, I mean, within the same company, you can have different products that can serve different purpose. Mm. But how this related to an entire company difference between non-tech and tech as a total company? You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So I think on the first one, again, there's the overall company still have a goal to achieve, mm. even if it has a diversified portfolio. Mm. Overall, there is a, an objective, an overarching objective that they needs to achieve. Mm. So maybe if we're saying like a company needs to grow, but can f have to fund it internally, so what it will do is that the mar like the product that are high margin, stable, mm. they will try to get as much as profit and they will drive that business on profitability mm. that will help them to fund for the next innovation, the next year product. Um, typically, if it was a blockbuster, when Netflix came in, if mm. they could have continued to blockbuster like the old way of sending CDs to the consumer, mm and then use the money that we're making on late fees mm -hmm. in that business to fund uh, a new business model that is streaming, typically with Netflix or even buying Netflix because they came in and they say, hey, we wanna be, we wanna be bought by you if you wanna, if you're interested and Blockbuster said no. Mm. Uh, but again, like you could, you could still fund your future product or within, your the, next, within the next company, but mm. then you'll have an overarching objective into the company. Mm. Now to your question, how can it be different from tech and non-tech? Um, I would say there's, there is, again, within tech, as I said, like there's very, like there's not a simple and straight answer. Uh, but what tech does and companies that are digitally native, they have uh, tons of data available at, at their hand. They have probably much more data available than old companies have. So the tech, uh, what usually and what they need to do, not everybody's doing it right now, but how do you use that data to make sure that you're bringing, getting as much insight as possible, um, as much as um, data point, comparison, insights, prediction, to make sure that you're running your business in an in a efficient way. And what is different as well with technology is that before the retail store, you close it and you know you're working hours, mm. where in your digital world is nonstop. If it's marketplace on Amazon, people can buy nonstop at any time of the week, Correct. any time of the week, uh, any hour of the day. So you need to make sure that you're, uh, you're, you're building all your processes and all your finance metrics and KPI along that. So you will track on a daily basis where in industrial companies, we're more on the 25 years term and we have time. We have a bit more time and our lead time are much longer. Production can take seven, just a car, like manufacturing car will take uh, a very long lead time. Mm. 
wherein you're, if you're in the retail or marketplace, for example, is daily. Anything weather, like there is a rain, you have an impact right away into your operations. Mm. There is a strike, there is um, shortage on electricity, anything can have a direct impact, significant impact in your operation. So your finance needs to be built in a way that you're able to track and manage your business on a daily basis. And that is very different than the way you would operate a non-tech company. Okay. I have like wells of questions based on what you said as you speak now. Uh, I just want to spare one section for data uh, mm-hmm. later on because that's a big unique thing about mm-hmm. the tech company. I fully agree with you. Uh, but just want to go back to the maturity uh, mm-hmm. as a question. How do you define the maturity of the uh, company? Let's focus now on tech. How do you find that this tech company is mature or on a scale from one to 10, it is nine in terms of maturity or five or six? Mm. And do you have any financial metrics on that measurement that there is a financial aspect to consider to define the maturity of the business as well in terms of tech company? Yeah, I think it's, again, it's it's very hard to give like a a simple Mm -hmm. answer to that one. I think depending on the benchmark, the industry where you are, which, what are you, you can be very mature in one city and completely new and a new one, mm. right? So like you have to define what are you looking at? So let's take an example. Um, I want to be in Dubai. Uh, uh, is the company mature in Dubai? Um, and it's a marketplace, I don't want to say food, for example. Mm. Let's take the food industry. And um, maturity level, if I start, and uh, do I have enough offering? Do I have enough restaurant offering and my card is it rich enough that I can cater for all the needs and like for breakfast to lunch to dinner to dessert and to all the areas uh, of the town within within uh, within um, a short ETAs like timing like within, within five to ten minutes delivery or like 20 minutes delivery or whatever um, so that in terms of maturity this is what you would yeah what you would measure how my product is efficient, how my customers are coming back, are satisfied, are engaged. And on the other side, especially on the marketplace, you have two sides, you have the customer side and then you have the restaurant side. Mm-hmm. Are the restaurants happy? Are they sticky to the, to the platform? Are they staying and coming back and, and, keep, uh, and keeping the relationship um, strong? So the maturity level is, Again, how efficient is your product or, or your platform? And how much you are achieving as well profitability? Because usually when you're growing, when you're in a hyper growth, you invest a lot. Mm. You invest significantly. So sometimes it's either you invest because you want to take market share on some on a, on a space that already there's competitor already existing, or you're coming up with something completely new and you need to build the behavior, you need to build the marketplace that never existed before. So you'll have to spend a lot of money on referrals, people have to test and you have to invite friends and family to come in and we give you incentive to make sure that we get you in um, and we keep you for few shopping sessions until you like it and, and and you can't do without it. And then we can stop incentivizing you and then we can become profitable. Mm-hmm. So I would say the maturity is the quality of the, the product um, in terms of efficiency, and then your level as well of profitability if you're able to achieve it or not. And it could be cyclical, right? Like it could, you could be, you could mature to a certain point and then you wanna, okay, now I want to try something else or I wanna expand my portfolio and do something different. I wanna add new product. I, I wanna do now quick grocery. Uh, instead of like just food delivery, I want to do ride hailing. I want to do, you name it, like all the all the options available. And then you go back into another cycle of I'm starting and then I'm maturing. Um, there is there is this really nice chart and it's very common and very popular in in the tech world in startup, where they call it the hockey stick, which is okay. You're starting very very small. You're creating the market and then there is a hyper growth until you reach your scale, until you reach your volume, and then you stabilize, and then until the next wave. Um, so when you reach the maturity um, is, again, another, then you have every every cycle has a challenge, right? Mm-hmm. 
you reach a maturity, how do you stay relevant? Of because course. tech is evolving. Consumer is evolving. Behavior is uh, exactly. evolving. And you need to keep feeding the machine more and more and and serving the customer more and more. Because again, when he got used to something, you need to maintain it. When a customer is used to a level of service, you have to maintain it and you have to, it has to be top notch or someone else will come and do the same. Hmm. Especially if you're building a new market, uh, the new entrant would come in and he will build on whatever you've already done and can enhance it with a little bit of investment so that he would need much less investment than you did originally and can do it better. So you have to always keep ahead of the curve, keep investing all the time um, to make sure that you're, you're maintaining uh, your position. So yeah, it really, it really depend on the on the phase where you are, and then yeah, you can be very mature in one city, and then the next day you're like, okay, I want to get expand to a new market, get into a new country, and then you're back from scratch. Okay, okay. So you define the maturity based simply on the product uh, uh, as a as a concept maturity, the efficiency of the process, the profit of the of the product. The customer and consumer combined together that they are coming in uh, and their market share that can be defined of the basic elements of the maturity in one location in one market of course mm. as you said if you go to other market it will be other uh, risky or you're gonna start from scratch in that sense now just want to highlight the risk assessment on the tech companies uh, based on my background i never worked for tech company that's why i'm curious to know mm. Uh, so the the risk in non-tech companies will be until the sanctions, uh, fuel prices, uh, raw and packaging material increase, uh, because we have a manufacturing uh, as a non-tech company in that sense. But then you highlighted that if you have a rainy day, it will directly impact your operation in that sense. So how finance in tech company, I know it's a very fragmented segment, but as a sample of one of the tech yeah. companies, can cater for the risk associated with the tech operations in one of the regions. Yeah. So I think I'll just give you then few examples, very concrete example. Um, so if I take marketplace, mm. where we operate on a daily basis on a market, so we're consumer, we're working with consumer. So let's take the example of ride hailing. Mm. Um, so you referred to fuel prices. Any fuel price, the drivers will not, uh, their costs to a ride will increase. So it will make less sense for them to operate. So you'll have to reflect the prices on the riders uh, and increase the prices when the fuel price goes up to make sure that you're protecting the earnings for the drivers. Um, and then you impact that into the riders. Inflation as well, devaluation when it happens, you'll have to adjust all your pricing constantly uh, on a, on a, I would say on daily basis, but almost like you always have to be cautious of how your currency is moving, how your um, all the different components are moving to make sure that you're 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 protecting uh, the partners that you're working with, either the drivers or or the riders on on the other side. Um, you then you have regulation as well you refer to regulation any regulation have a direct as well impact on 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 the business on the industry so you have to comply with regulation you have to have authorization every market has its own rules um like taxis have license uh right heading as well have laws um and in the tech world is very uh, on a on a broad scheme of things the regulators are catching up on so they had first to understand how this word works, what are the impacts, what are the positives and the negatives of that of all those tools? Mm. Because um, you would you would say like for anything, if it's tech or even like when machines were created, it could be tools or weapon, mm. can be used for good and it can be used for bad. Mm. So the regulator as well is catching up and adjusting all its regulation. Um, you think about GDPR in Europe, where we're trying to protect consumer with data protections and so on. Mm. So you have to comply, all the companies now have to comply um, and have to change and adapt. Um, and and then you have it in, in all aspects of everything, everything you do, regulation as well is key and important. Um, as I said, weather conditions, political instability, economical crisis, um, forex availability, 
anything that is happening in the market has a very direct correlation with your business. So as a finance person, what you have to do is uh, it's our old forecast and planning tools that you'll have to leverage, uh, but you have to do it in a very efficient way and you have to be super agile. Like you have to be able to build all your processes to be as quick to action as possible. Um, so that's why we do daily forecasts. We do weekly forecasts. We reallocate investment every week. When we see, okay, this market is tracking down, like we have to reshift. Maybe the money we're, we've put it in one market and then we see that, okay, it's not taking the traction we want and we see another market that is struggling because, and then we are able within the same week to be able to shift direction and adjust. We do a lot of testing. Um, we do like, we call it the A-B test in all the tech words. So we just test, like you don't have to go full scale, but you just test on small cohort. And because you have access to the consumer directly through the phone in general, so you're able to test and be very precise and test and learn before you scale it. Uh, so you'll have to be super agile and finance needs to help and needs, like we build the entire processes around it to make sure that we're able to help the business to react as quickly as possible. Uh, because yeah, you lose, it's very easy to lose market share. It's super hard to regain them. Uh, consumers get really bored very quickly from one app to another. They can switch. It's very easy. Like you have your phone and you just have apps across your phone. You just switch from one another. It's not like I need to go to this shop before and I have now to drive 45 minutes to go to the other shop. It's really all in my phone and I can switch very easily. So how can you make sure that your customer stays with you and they're happy and just, and in, in all aspects, like on, on both sides. And and you have to make it daily. You have to make sure that, uh, and you're fed with data. You're fed with data, it's there every day. So how do you make sure that you use them in a smart way and in a way that serves you? Like there's plenty uh, volume, super high volume of data, but which one is relevant for you? That's what, again, that's why what I was saying earlier is that finance needs to help the business and needs to be built based on the business. So I understand my business need. I look at which data I can use mm. to make, to help me make the right decisions uh, and help me to um, get insights, extract insight to make sure that I'm making the right decision or even adjust if I, if I made a mistake and it happens, uh, but how quick I can fix it and I can change. So it's, using data that is available, being super agile, very quick to the market to be able to react quickly. Yeah, so I mean, in that sense, I uh, what I sense from your answer that all of this has an impact on all business, rather tech or non-tech. Mm -hmm. The key difference between tech and non-tech, the speed to action. So if tomorrow the country declared a 10% increase in fuel, Maybe other companies, they need to take a few weeks to assess the impact on the raw and packaging material, how much the stocks they have as a weighted average cost, what will be the impact in the PNL. But in your case, it has to be the, the decision has to be taken today and the, yeah. the price needs to be increased in a few hours from now. That's, that's the, the key difference. Same when it comes to Forex as well. The decision has to be implemented, taken and assessed with the full impact and implemented in a few hours, in a few minutes, rather than other uh, traditional business or non-tech business that they have the lead time of the manufacturing, safety stocks, and new batch orders and all of these. And the other point is the agility, which is, I think the finance team and tech company need to be super agile compared to any other uh, industry. Because as, as you said, they reflect the business and the business itself as a purpose is super mm -hmm. agile in terms of business, not only finance. And the last bit, which is my, my passion for it, which is data-driven, because in tech company you have the data, uh, and I hope it is well organized in a in a decent format, not a struggle <laughs> with the data like any other business. But I just want to deep dive on that a mm -hmm. little bit. How finance and tech company leverage on the data they have in their apps and their uh, consumer information to take more uh, uh, precise uh, ROI decision uh, or recommendation for the business. Yeah. I will give you just my perspective, my own experience. I'm not going to make a general statement, but it's really on my experience. Mm. Um, so what I used to do and what I've seen is that um, we use a lot of the data 
based on operations. So basically, for example, I would I would look at basic financials metrics and KPIs, um, revenue, net income, EBITDA, cost, OPEX. But that's kind of my end state. This is like any company. I have my PL, I have my balance sheet, I have my free cash flow and my cash flow statement. And this is my end state. Um, and I measure that on weekly basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then the component of what is built to my PL, that is what I cut it down into operations. What is creating my sauce? Which is again any like you would see it in any company, but what is driven, like what is my how is my cells built? Mm-hmm is based on a very detailed components that are very operational. Mm-hmm. So when you look at them, it's not finance anymore, it's business. So how many volumes I'm selling every day? What is the retention? What is the shopping session? What's the lead time for a customer to convert? Are my customers churning? Are my, um, how much it cost me to resurrect? How much I need to spend on digital marketing to attract and retain? Um, how much I need to do like brand media campaign to attract and build my audience. So it's all operational metrics that leads me to a financial result at the very end. So my end, like my end goal is, is, is finance, but everything else in between is built on operations. So, and then we work a lot with the ops team um, to make sure that we have a good understanding of what's going on on a daily basis, like on quite regularly. Um, to make sure that whatever we're building is getting us to the result we want that is ultimately at my PL. Mm. So my PL is my PL. I have a target, I have a plan, I have a top line to achieve, I have a bit there to achieve. But how I do it is I just deconstruct it into a very detailed view that I think what is different, what I've seen in tech versus non tech, again, non tech has the same logic. Uh, it's just on non-tech is the access of data pretty much on a daily basis that you can adjust always very, like you're able to adjust trajectory much in a much easier way than that we do in a probably traditional industry. Okay. And given this complexity, how will you ensure your forecast accuracy in that sense? Hmm. So if, if the... If traditional business, there is a lead time, so at least the, the finance and traditional business, they can get the news and gradually they can reflect the risk or the opportunity mm. on their forecast cycles. But if your impact is just sharp as the weather can impact operation today, how you leverage on data to get a more accurate forecast in the future? So there is forecast weekly. So every week, like beginning of the week, you forecast for the next three, four weeks, and then you adjust as you go. And then every Monday, you look at your past week performance, and then you see any deviation, try to understand and course correct within the week, mm. within the week to see if there's something, again, as I told you, like investment reshuffling, you do it on a really on a, on a weekly basis. And we usually like, again, when you're building your forecast really based on operations, so you know exactly what went wrong. Mm-hmm. So with, with sometimes you're able to get better and better and better because you know where, where you deviated, what went wrong. So you can, you make sure that the next time you're doing it is better. Okay. So that is still a bit of a bit of a traditional way to do it. What I've seen is um, what I love and a bit geeky about it is the machine learning models and using AI as well to generate your forecast. And in my previous company, we run a machine learning forecast and we did it in parallel with our old fashioned way of doing forecast. Mm-hmm. And after, so we kept them in parallel to make sure that we're not breaking the system. Mm-hmm. So after six, seven months, we realized that the accuracy of the model was much better than, than um, people's forecast. Because what, what happens in machine learning, it's able to really compute a tons of data that you as finance person or as your business partner are not able to think about all the elements at the same time altogether. Mm. Um, so it can compute tons of information to come up with a proposal. It removes the biases as well. If you train it, of course, like you have to train it as well. The model needs to be trained. It never gets it right at the very beginning, but you need to feed it with the right thinking process for you to get there. And um, and then the accuracy was much better. Extreme, like the, the gaps were incredible to a point where like, okay, we're deprecating human forecasting and we're just moving with machine learning forecasting. Mm. Um, you remove biases, uh, you remove the, the extra optimist 
people, the very pessimist people, mm. uh, and then you get to something that is much more balanced. And what you do, then you can spend as finance person your time on just understanding the, the forecast. You don't have to spend your time building it, but seeing the trend and say, okay, maybe I should do something different because the trend is not what I want. It's not what I, like, I it's not the way I like it. I want to change trajectory. I can, I can change direction. And this is where, uh, we became finance as the prescriptive business partner than more than the, the forecaster who would just tell them like, okay, directionally, this is what I see you go in. But hey, if you do this, this is the outcome you could expect. And this is where, for me, finance should be, and it will be in the future. This is where we have a critical role to play. Um, and this is what makes a company more successful than others, when you have people more like using the technology to be able to really play in the areas that are much, like have much higher added value mm. uh, and make the right decision and be able to shift quickly. Then if you're still in the old world where you just look in what happened in the past and just assess like roughly what is going to happen in the next uh, next month or so. Okay, I'm super excited for that subject. I think we need a, a dedicated episode for that. Mm. But just back to the weekly forecast in that mm -hmm. sense. You, you've seen the traditional business and you've seen the tech business. And the minute you're going to say weekly forecast, that will create a panic in the finance function because in the traditional business, it takes so much time to get the input. You've seen that in yep. even the industry oh, before yes, tech. Yes, yes. So, and you already jumped into my next question quickly when we said, if we're gonna have a weekly forecast, how we're gonna leverage in technology to automate that process? Because mm -hmm. we cannot have a weekly forecast with a traditional mindset. Mm -hmm. uh, so in that sense, uh, you leverage on machine learning and AI capturing that. And you've seen the real life example of the comparison between machine learning and uh, human uh, forecast. There is a doubt on that as a pushback, uh, bear, bear with me, mm -hmm. that machine is limited to what we train and what data we feed in. And in our region, especially in the Middle East, your lovely region and Africa, it follows, it full of spikes. And when it comes to events that machine at this moment cannot understand or interpret to have the right level of the forecast. That's why we rely more in the human aspect because they can relate more. What are your views on that? So I think it's, it's both. Like we can't rely on the machine to give us the forecast, that's for sure. And it's not the purpose. Um, what we rely on the machine is to compute for us a high level of data and digest it to something that we can make our man out of it. And we look at it and we say, makes sense, doesn't make sense because it doesn't have it. And what I was referring to the example before where we trained the model for about nine months and we tested it, we were teaching it as well as we go. Like, hey, you, Ramadan is, is not a fixed date. Every mm. year is 10, 10 days moving. You teach the model and it learns. Mm. And then from there, it's always gonna take that gap into consideration and always reforecast based on it. Mm. Um, the model, you can tell the model, hey, consider that next month there is expected protest in this country. Mm. And if there is a protest, then we are expecting those roads to be closed. Um, public maybe companies will give some day off and, mm. and use some of the example that happens in the past. And I can tag to you this date and this date and this day, this is what happens in the past, mm. which you would do as a finance professional, right? You would look at history and you say, okay, this is the trend last year. Like we do it with Ramadan on our forecast. We look at historical, what happened, what was the trend? Usually Eid will, things will spike again and then it go down. And like you could, you, exactly. you do those analysis, but the machine would do it at scale in a very efficient way with more data. Uh, for example, you have a country where there has load shutting, like there is no electricity for a few hours and there's stage, like like South Africa is a good example. It has a lot of shortage on electricity and there is stage and they're known. And you know the impact on your activity based on historical. So I know last month it was stage four of load shedding. So hence my volume went down by 20%. Uh, the week before it was minus 10% because it was load shedding 
that stage three or whatever. Mm. But you gave the tool, like the system, tons of all those information, you feed it with all the information, you add your touch and you tell the machine, hey, please consider this, please consider that. And what we've seen is that after a while, after it's been trained and it knows the business as not as much as you know it, of course, but it has enough insight, then it starts getting you good results. And those results, it's not like, hey, forecast, like machine said 100, <laughs> We're going to take it for granted. And then you can spend time as a finance professional to try to understand that 100. Does it make sense? Should I trust it? Or maybe there's something that machine doesn't know, but I know because I was on the street, I was walking down the street, I talked to some customer, I know this is coming, the machine doesn't know. So that nuances, we still absolutely need it uh, from finance, but we should leverage the tools to take off our plate, the things that are not like the easy, the most fun to do, and and then spend time on the added value, qualitative things. Uh, and I think that's what like we're getting there. Like there's no companies if they want to be successful, they have to do it because others will do. So if you want to survive, like you have to embrace it, and at some point it will come and it will come at scale. I think. When I was working, um, and I can name like I can name the company. When I work was working at Microsoft, um, when I joined, I felt like, oh wow, like the finance is like it's the future. Like literally, it's like ten years from what I used to be. Like uh, the previous company when I joined, I was I was shocked by how advanced it is, and it was five years ago. So and even from there, like they <laughs> progressed even more, mm. uh, and in finance as well. So, and, and, and they probably were the first one to do it, but there's a lot of companies that are doing it and they're at that level of maturity today. And now data is available, it's accessible, it's cheap. Now we see all with ChatGPT, like all the tools that are available. So there's more and more companies will embrace it and use it. Then if you want to be successful, any company needs to embrace that technology. Okay. So speaking about the fun, I just have one fun question. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a very, very good fun subject, which is related to data governance, especially for the finance people. Mm-hmm. We People look at us in the business that we are the custodian, the, the gatekeeper when it comes to the data security on the mm-hmm. company, especially the financial data. Uh, how do you think the threat or the weakness point of the AI, machine learning, ChatGPT, whatever external mm-hmm. uh, artificial intelligence tool will work closely on securing and keeping our company financial data? How are we gonna manage strike between leveraging full speed with the technology and at the same time uh, keep our data safe yeah i think there's a lot of again it's 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 a it's a real concern um and i think the companies needs and that's why the regulator plays as, as a play as well to make sure that the companies uh, who are managing the data are in check and making sure that they are protective um, a lot of like the lawyers used to be involved in like what are the terms and conditions we're getting with the supplier to make sure they're very protective of the data. What are the compliant, like again, I was referring to EGDP for Europe. There are rules uh, across the world that are um, that are there to protect the data. And I think the big companies who has who are now hosting the data, for them to be successful, people, they need their customer to trust them with their data. If they want to grow, the only way for them to grow is people to trust them and use their tools. So it's in their interest as well to make sure that they are using and then they're very protective with the data they have that the customer gave them. Because otherwise, if this is broken, they will lose business. Mm. They will not be able to operate. Mm. So there is a real balance that I think big companies uh, and data, like the companies who are like cloud-based, who are hosting all the data, are very cautious about that uh, and they're doing ev- i believe everything that is possible to protect it to make sure again for them to keep the business operating and keep customer coming back is by offering that trust and and that safety but on, on your side uh, as a company when you want to integrate or digitally transform you need to make sure that your thinking thoughtfully about it, like set level of data security, what is accessible, like again, layers of data Hmm. hierarchy, what is extremely Hmm. uh, sensitive, what is okay to be shared. When we talk about ChatGPT, I think it's a good example. We're testing um, 
ChatGPT Enterprise and what is capabilities, and we're doing it with a pilot, like 2,000 people in the company, um, and we're testing it. Um, and we're testing it in a very safe space. Um, so commitment as well from ChatGPT is your data will only be whatever is created will gonna be remaining within your own universe. Mm. And there's again, contract and legally bounded uh, agreements to make sure it is the case. And then for the people, like there's a lot of education and teaching for people like how to use those tools. What can I sell ChatGPT? What can I ask him? What I can feed him as information? So I am playing around with a, a bot, like a chat GPT bot, like creating my own and just testing it. Um, but like, yeah, we have to go through screening, like from legal to tell me, hey, you can, this is like, this is the level of information you can train the model with. Mm. Don't give it for like in, internal information, don't give it this and that. So there's a lot of education as well that needs to happen to make sure that people are, um, are um, complying with uh, that, uh, level of safety but i think companies need to as well educate their team like before we used to, even like financials people would like you can't mm. print the pnl and and take it away with you at home no. or leave it on the on on the, on a desk somewhere it's the same education that needs to happen as well on how to use the tools and how to use them in a safe way and again finance has a, again a key role as well to play there because again any technology investment has to go through finance or approval like we have, we're the one proving the POS at I the know, end of the day. I know, that's uh, the power we have. <laughs> <laughs> so we should use it as well to make sure that questioning everything that is coming our way to make sure that um, it is used in a, in a safe and a very safe uh, way and we're protecting the company as much as we can. Okay, so uh, uh, now I'm left with two questions, okay? Um, the first question is uh, ChatGPT Enterprise. Uh, based on the experiment that you're trying now within your current scope, mm. and I think it's limited to a number of employees at your end with a scope of a limited data as well. How do you see the chat with the, your own bot? What kind of questions you ask without disclosing uh, yeah, of confidential information, but what kind of discussion you're chatting with? It's amazing. Like you can, it's, it's open. Like you really can create anything that you want. So basically I tested, for example, on investment ask. Hmm. And I trained the bot. So basically I'm like, okay, I want my, the finance team. And again, it's really on a test and it's like just me geeking around. Yes, yes. Uh, but I want, for example, all my associate, junior, or even like mid-level team mm -hmm. to have the same thinking process when it comes to investment ask. Hmm. So when their team comes to them, I'm like, hey, I want to spend X. Hmm. What are the thinking process they should go through? So I'm playing with the ChatGPT bot and I'm teaching him how you should think as like I'm a, like my co-pilot, the finance co-pilot, where you would just ask the questions. So you have set of like, you know, the set of set questions um, at the beginning. And it says, hey, how should I how should I think about this investment ask? And obviously when you start, like it gives you very generic answer. Of course. That is basic or oh, look at the ROI. Yes check or you know competition like super basic and then you start training it and you're mm. like okay no in, in in our company this is how we look at it mm. we look at it in this angle and this angle this is the kpi you should be asking you should look at goals of the company mid long term you should question uh what is the impact on competition what is the impact in this and that and uh um, and then make sure that, okay, you're like, you talked with the, these stakeholders and these stakeholders, you want to make sure that you're going through the governance that we have in place. This is, there's investment forum. There's things that can go through the email. These are the threshold. Um, and then ultimately, and you should present it in a way, uh, that is digestible for your like leadership team to approve it. And this is the format that you should use. Uh, and then now, like with the chat, you can literally go in and then you're, you're a junior, like someone or someone just onboarding that is new to the company. And what I found it fascinating is that you can then make your entire team at least at the same level of thinking. Because mm. obviously within the same team, you have superstars and people who are like just getting, getting along. Um, so you want that level of superstars like and then upscale everywhere. And you give them the tool to be able to do that. So I, I just for that is amazing. And then I and then I test it with like with data dump data, like dummy data. Yes. 
with few, like very simple, few lines, three columns, random numbers. And I put it in the chat and I said, hey, can you get me some visuals and give like extract three key insights? Uh, so we're going to go back. So simple table with a few numbers. Yeah. You throw it to the chat and then? And then I asked the chat like, hey, can you give me, I gave it a name to the chat. Like I feel like very like my my best friend now. <laughs> uh, and I said, hey, can you pull me some visuals and give me three key insights that you get from this data? And within a second, give me like charts, few charts, a few like bar chart and different visuals that you can just copy past into a PowerPoint or presentation, whatever. And then it just drive like really high level insight. Like, hey, I see this market's going up and then there is a combination between this and that, and this is kind of what I see. And then I said, okay, uh, get some data from, go browse the internet, because you have to give it option to go and browse the internet. Mm -hmm. And this is my industry. And these are like based on the country that I gave you. And now you know the industry that I'm at. Can you get me more insights from what you know mm -hmm. from the market? And it just goes and do so some browsing. Data. Yeah, can, it can have the capability. Your to friend can combine both external yeah. and internal data in a few seconds for yeah. you. A few seconds, and at least you have basic. And I fed him really with like, honestly, like <laughs> super, super basic, basic table so, that was so random, like no uh, number made sense. Imagine if we give access to the entire, entire data, data set that yeah. we have. That will be uh, an amazing. <laughs> yeah. And it's impressive because then you, like, as I said, like you get super started, but at least you kind of levelize and try to get the team upscale everyone at the same time upscale your company at scale like you don't have people like you're not oh this is the guy like who's very smart like he knows the like is the go-to person for for this topic mm. you don't have to bother that guy anymore but just use it uh on the platform okay so my last question for you mm -hmm. giving this context of the chat gbt um if we have part of our audience that they still at the university or uh, fresh out of the oven graduate student approaching their career in the finance industry or tech or non-tech what will be your advice for this generation oh i think just being open and agile like be very curious i mean i'm not gonna tell you hey just go learn to code or you know go learn ChatGPT. i mean maybe in six months there will be a new technology that will be out and ChatGPT will not be relevant anymore mm -hmm. uh but ha the roles, even in finance, I think in the future now we need accountant, we need analyst, tomorrow we will be need data architect, we would need um, data scientists, we would need um, storytellers, we would need a very different set of skill sets in that function. Mm. Uh, so the young generation needs to learn those, those tools. They still need uh, to learn the finance foundations. Okay. Accounting will always be there. Okay. The rules, the the like the again to be a good finance professional, you need to know in and out your accounting. It doesn't have like doesn't mean that you will be doing the T accounting, mm -hmm. but you need to have a really good understanding because again, it's business is the same. Mm. It's still like hundred years back. The logic is still the same. It's Correct. a market, customers you know, suppliers and a regulator. So the business will always be the same. So foundation of finance will always be there and they're super critical for someone to be successful. Um, but the tech part is as critical. Um, and I think it will be much more accessible as we go. Like you see it, like it's just now intuitive where before you have to go through a long code. Now it's much more intuitive, much, much, much or easier and and the tools are here they're free they're accessible people can test and learn so i think for me like if i, I would have loved to have all those tools when i was a student access to a wealth of data that is available so just keep curious agile try to learn always adapt because things will change much more than before like we see it every six months there's something big and new coming up probably in the future will be every maybe every month or every two months or something new as well okay so at the end of this episode i think you took us on a journey uh this is finance 2.0 3.0 5.0 <laughs> uh somewhere else uh, uh 
I'm not sure how we're gonna go back to the traditional finance after you said. I think it's even a struggle for you whenever you have your own discussion within your, within your, within your own bot with a trial data. And then you got an email request for the traditional requirement on the business as usual as well. Yeah. So imagine people from non-tech industry as well, yeah. in that sense. Uh, and I love the passion that you show when it comes to, especially when it comes from a finest person, uh, the energy that you drive and the curiosity for the technology and trying a, a, a dummy data set and get some excitement about having internal, external data analysis as well. I think that's a role model for a a basic skill or behavior for a finest person everywhere regardless of the hierarchy we should have the same mindset i mean that was really lovely discussion i did enjoy it myself i was super excited as well to have this discussion thank you so much for accepting the invite and it's really a pleasure having you on the show thank you for having me it was great to be here thank you